Hello and welcome to the Hardy Report. My name's Edward Hardy and for today's interview I'm joined by Richard Ratcliffe who's here outside the Iranian embassy in London where he has been on hunger strike in protest at the imprisonment in Iran since April 2016 of his wife Nazneen Zaghari Ratcliffe. Richard Ratcliffe, thank you for joining me. Hi, good evening. For those that don't know what's happened to Nazneen and why you're on hunger strike right now, could you explain the background to these events? Sure. So Nazneen's story is that she went on holiday with Gabriella, then almost two-year-old daughter, um, for a two-week holiday to, um, for Iranian year and was arrested at the airport on the way out. Later uh, disappeared, later kept in solitary confinement for a long time, later sentenced to a five-year um, sentence um, and various appeals and so on went forward. And we have been campaigning for a long time in different ways to try and get a home, so through the British government, um, trying with the Iranian government, trying through the Iranian legal system, um, and actually the UN, and, and there's something called the UN Working Group on Arbitrary Detention, which is where you take your case to say it's unfair. Did all that. In the end, nothing's worked. Um, and she has become over time increasingly despairing that she's being held unfairly um, and tried a hunger strike back a few months ago which got some attention but but out of it felt recently that she was going to go on hunger strike again um, and I felt that if she was going to do it again um, I didn't want to leave her alone I wanted to do, do it in solidarity with her but also wanted to do it in a very public way so that people would see what she's going through because a hunger strike in prison no one gets to see really um, and the Iranian authorities are very good at just ignoring it so that's how I've ended up camping on the street in front of the Iranian embassy um, not eating um, and the main purpose of it really was to say enough's enough that, that you can't just hold someone innocent for, for you know, no good reason um, and get away with it. What do you believe was Rand's motivation behind their decision to arrest your wife? What purpose do you think they were trying to achieve? Well, they went through, back at that stage, a wave of picking up foreigners, so foreign nationals, dual nationals, so that's whether you've got a British, an Iranian passport and a second passport. Um, partly, I think, to scare the Iranian diaspora from outside and listen, just because we've signed the nuclear deal doesn't mean the rules have changed. So it was the hardliners doing it, in our case, the Revolutionary Guard. Um, and partly to use those people as, as bargaining chips with the foreign countries. So in our case, Nazneen is held as a bargaining chip to use against the UK. Um, and at times, they've sort of been signalling different things, but, but broadly, it is, you know, she's been held as, a, as, a, as an asset, really. The Iranian ambassador to the UK told Channel 4 News earlier this month that there are, quote, certain provisions for clemency for Nazneen. Do you believe that your protests and the support online and here in person could be changing Iran's mind and could pressure them into releasing your wife? Well, could be. I mean, certainly the aim, of course, with all campaigning is to try and to get her home. Um, and we've tried different things and we probably get more assertive as, as we've gone on longer. Um, it, it could well be that the ambassador's comments where he talks about clemency um, are uh, a potential thawing of, of the position. Um, clemency is a complicated one because it, it kind of means admitting guilt. So interestingly, her lawyer in Iran for a long time ago didn't want to ask for clemency, but wanted to ask for unconditional release, which the parole effectively is you're entitled to once you've done a certain amount of your sentence, which she, she's done long ago. Um, I, if I'm honest, the ambassador probably doesn't have the mandate to talk on behalf of the judiciary. They're quite divided in Iran. Um, so we look more closely at what the judiciary is saying. 
their position um, was quite hardened um, and this week they were the ones announcing that she's going to have to serve her full sentence that she'd been saying there might be a second sentence so there's no talk of clemency from them just yet you mentioned there about the response that came this week. Iran's foreign minister rebuffed the UK foreign office minister Andrew Morrison's appeal to Tehran to release Nazneen and declared she will have to serve her full sentence. Do you believe there's any solution that will enable your wife to be released? Yeah, like I think, I think the Iranian regime is entirely transactional. Um, so it will be looking for certain things from the UK. Um, it'll have a sort of a key demand, and it'll have various things it might settle for. Um, there's a lot of tough talking that goes on, um, certainly because we are perceived to be very provocative by by camping in front of their doorstep. Um, you know, and I think the ambassador, the foreign minister, deputy foreign minister, right, talked about how we were blackmailing Iran, um, which you know is is a fairly strong claim to make for the family protesting. Um, I am sure that a solution could be found. I am sure that the British government could find it, and part of our job in campaigning is to push them to do a better job at, at, at getting a home. During his time as Foreign Secretary, Boris Johnson, who's now running to be Prime Minister, said that Nazneen was in Iran, quote, teaching people journalism, a claim that yourself and other members of the family have denied and her employers his remarks were then used against her during her trial do you hold that against him now um look i think you it's everyone makes mistakes um, there are certain mistakes you shouldn't make but i think for me the area where i've criticized boris johnson has been more his inability to take responsibility for his mistakes and their consequences um, and part of those mistakes were his comments. But part of them were also the way he dealt with it subsequently. So that you know, extreme reluctance to apologise in public and the way that then muddied things. Um, and then the actions he took to try and signal he would do something else and then not do it, which made her case much more complicated, and made the situation of other people now in prison more complicated. You have been able to have some contact with Nazneen during her imprisonment. How often are you able to speak to your wife and could you give us an idea of the conditions she's living under, the environment she's being held in? So I, I can speak to her reasonably frequently at the moment, although it might have changed just recently with this hunger strike. Um, the rules keep changing, so back in the beginning it used to be once a month at best with someone standing next to her for like a three minute phone call, um, which was terrifying for her. Um, now, as a regular prisoner, she gets the same rights as the other prisoners. That changes at points, but at the moment it's sort of theoretically three short phone calls a week of about eight minutes, so Mondays, Wednesdays, Saturdays. Um, her conditions, again, have improved. So at the beginning she was kept in solitary confinement, which you know, means sort of a, a room about the size of a double bed with three blankets in it. You know, one is a mattress, one a blanket and one is a pillow. Um, and, and no window, just an electric light bulb on all the time. So she has a real issue now with claustrophobia and being in small places um, and a real um, real frequency which panic attacks will come. Um, now she's in a, in a regular prison ward, so there are other prisoners. There's people you can have a cup of tea with, there's people you can, you can, you can talk to, people you can squabble about the washing up with, or, you know, the, the domestic stuff that, that we all have. Um, not always plain sailing, but, but, a, but a world of difference from, from that earlier period. That earlier period certainly still has its scars, 
and panic attacks and nightmares and so on. Um, and most of the women who have been through that process of solitary confinement don't talk about it together because it, it's, it's clearly traumatic enough. And so that imprisonment has had a significant impact on her mental health. Has it impacted her physical health as well? Yes, yeah, so I think I think the mental health is this is the most um, concerning part. And, and you know, she got to see a psychiatrist about six weeks ago now, who was horrified at her condition and said she should be admitted to hospital immediately. Um, I think physically, she's clearly got physical concerns. Some of those seem to be partly exacerbated by the, the mental conditions. Certainly when she's stressed, they get much worse. But broadly, she has, um, as a result of sleeping on the floor for so long, on the concrete floor, um, real spinal problems and... and, and um, kind of nervous pains that will end up with her, her arms and legs quite often going numb and occasionally collapsing at worst times. Um, and she's had some lumps in her breast that, that at times we are growing, we thought were cancerous. They don't seem to be at the moment. But um, yeah, there's enough, enough bad health uh, in, in her situation that she'd been reviewed by something called the Health Commission, which is a prison body that checks whether someone should not be in prison because they're too unhealthy. You mentioned in this interview, and you've called previously your hunger strike the visible face of Nazanin's suffering. Obviously, she's on hunger strike at the moment. How powerful is it, in your opinion, being here, showing the Iranian embassy, showing the world the impact that the decision to imprison your wife has had on her? I mean, hopefully it's powerful. I, I think... I think... Why are we doing it? It, 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 it is to to just be here and be conspicuous um, what we have seen um, and we've done lots of campaigning events but, but we've seen certainly more members of the public more, more MPs coming along to visit and, and, and show you know, solidarity and care than we would normally get at an event because it's, you know, it's stationary, it's quite simple and it's quite clear um, and I think one of the most overwhelming parts of it, I mean, alongside the fact that you know, physically it's quite tough to do, um, is that emotionally it's been uplifting because we've had so many messages of care and support and kindness, so many bunches of flowers, so many visitors coming along and saying, you know, we've been following your story from a long way away, we, we wanted to come down and just meet you and, and say, you know, we're with you, you're not alone. It's really important. Um, with, with situations like this, you kind of think at the beginning that you know you just need to shout from the rooftops that this is unfair it's an injustice and that will get you home and of course life doesn't work like that it's more complicated but but also in some ways i don't think with campaigning the most important thing is is the bringing home as quickly as possible i think it's also the making sure that that she remembers that that there is a world waiting for her there is a home waiting and keeping alive that belief in, in you know that the world can be a good place um, it, she knows that people are out here supporting her and backing her and care and that people are good it, it, so there's a level that people are people you know are supporting her personally but people are also kind you know it, it, being stuck in solitary confinement being interrogated blindfolded is a, is a brutal experience of cruelty um, and, and that takes a long time to shake off there will be a journey back to ourselves when this is over but having this level of care and support and concern, and being able to come back and read the visitor book we've had, to read the cards that people have sent, to read the messages you see on social media, um, I mean, not all of them are nice, but, but it's really important. It's really important because it, it will take time to get back to normal. 
she does want to come back. I want to come back to them. I don't want to be a professional campaigner. Um, and, you know, it's only when you share your problem that other people can help. And, and this week, lots of other people have been helping. That support that you've got, we're sitting here surrounded by flowers, surrounded by cards and post-it notes of support. There's obviously the visitor's book where there's even more messages of people supporting you. That's helping to keep you going as well, is it? Absolutely. So that, that helps keep me going. It helps give me energy to, you know, it's not quite living on fumes, but living on, living on hope, living on care. Um, and it's important now and it's important for tomorrow. Um, and it will be important one day for Gabriella to read it when she's old enough and to realise that how, you know, looked after her mum was and she was. You mentioned, obviously, your daughter, Gabriella. While many people are familiar with your wife's situation and her imprisonment, she's not the only one that's been affected, obviously, yourself. But your daughter, since the detention of Nazanin, has not been allowed to leave Iran. What has life been like for Gabriella over the last three years? Oh, well, that's right. She's uh, obviously she's living a normal life here with, with, with me and, and Nazanin. Went on holiday... Um, didn't know her relatives that well, but, but spent a couple of weeks there. Um, and then suddenly was taken away from both her parents. Was taken away from both her parents and uh, had to you know, learn to rely on her grandparents. Um, and that was clearly a very tough adjustment as a tiny baby. Um, you know, really tough over the first couple of weeks. Um, and now she, you know, her grandparents are... At home, um, and and she, it was a struggle for her when she went to nursery and realised everyone else had their mum and dad with them, whereas her mum was in prison and her dad was the bloke on the phone. Um, and in some ways, of course, small children are very resilient; they they adapt as normal to the normal they find. Um, but she does ask lots of questions about prison and hunger strikes and execution and, and things that you wouldn't really want a five-year-old to, to be asking about mm. um, and I do think it will be just as she had one abandonment when her parents disappeared that second abandonment of, of um, when her grandparents disappeared she comes back which is what will happen um, will be tough um, so she will have to tread carefully and it will take her time to, to feel you know, loved and supported is she being given access to the services she needs for development, education, healthcare, and so on out there? Yeah, so Gabriella goes to nursery. Um, she obviously was, was kind of spoiled at the beginning to the steps of all the emotional concern thrown into her. Um, and, and, yeah, went to see a child psychologist at one point and said, listen, I think she just needs to be around other kids. Um, so she goes to nursery and, and you know, it was like a normal Iranian child in that sense um, I I think there's obviously a, a sort of a a level of post-traumatic to, to work through um, which is to work through when we're post the trauma we're, we're kind of mid-trauma still um, I, I mean you know it's, I worry about Gabriella less because she's somewhere where she's loved um, there will be bridges to cross when she comes back, um, but we'll cross those down. When the Iranian embassy recently rejected fresh calls from the UK government for the release of Nazanin, 
Iran's deputy foreign minister called your hunger strike outside the embassy here in London, quote, blackmail. Have you at any point during this hunger strike regretted what you're doing and the possible impact that's having on Iran's decision making or do you stand by your actions here? No, I stand by them completely. Um, I, I think I wanted to make a very clear signal to Iran that enough is enough and this is this is intolerable and they need to stop playing games. Um, I was surprised, if I'm honest, at how hostile they were at the idea of the protest. I wasn't I didn't expect to make them it make them as angry as it has. Um, I was surprised by some of the rhetoric. Um, I don't think that's such a bad thing, if I'm honest. Um, we were trying to get under their skin. We clearly have. Um, and, you know, the ambassador accused me of breaking the Vienna Convention, um, which you can't as an individual. That's, in a sense, given me a status, you know, of state level. Um, who knows what impact it has? I think broadly, we get different conflicting advice, but we've had a lot of Iranians come up and say, just keep going, keep strong, you're doing the right thing. Um, our situation is nonsense. The fundamentals of them holding her is ridiculous. You know, and, and the idea of, of them talking about blackmail is, is entirely topsy-turvy. Um, they are the ones holding Nazanin for leverage, not us. One of the responses that the Iranian embassy had to your protest was the construction of a metal barrier that they literally put up around you while you were sat in a chair on the pavement. In response, obviously, your supporters have now decorated that with messages of support to show how many people are are backing you. But when the Iranian embassy did that and constructed the metal barriers, do you believe it was an attempt to intimidate you, an attempt to silence you? I think they were clearly trying to drive us off and away. Um, I don't think it was necessarily to intimidate us, but to, to move us out the way. Um, I think they also wanted to wall us off. Um, it, it feels like there's a defensive quality to it, so they kind of want to protect themselves. Um, and they were terribly concerned about being filmed always. Um, there's a, a real fear of accountability on the Roman authorities, and it's like that's why they won't meet me ever. So I think they were, you know, kept shouting at the cameraman whenever they were filming them on the street. Police had to say, listen, it's public. Of course, you can be filmed. Um, I, uh, I think they are trying to make sure that that not necessarily that we're intimidated, but everyone watching us is intimidated, um, and that other Iranians don't try this at home. Richard Ratcliffe, I know this is a very difficult time for you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Pleasure talking to you. That was Richard Ratcliffe, the husband of Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe, who's been imprisoned in Iran. You can find out more about the campaign and how you can get involved and help on Twitter at Free Nazanin. That's all for this week. What did you think about that interview? Let me know on Twitter at Edward T. Hardy. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating and subscribe. Until next time, goodbye.